Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 41. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 41. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. So this week we're discussing a book called The Misunderstood God by Darren Hufford. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. And we're here to uh, see what we see. I picked this up as a result of listening to Darren's podcast. I think it's called Into the Wild. He mentioned having written this book. It was available at my public library. So I picked it up. I'm about halfway through it. And I think in the process, you picked it up too, Greg. Is that right? I've got it right here. Yeah. I, I reread, so how many pages? I had read 30 pages, and my total page count as of today is 32. So in other words, I only read two pages because I went back. And this is the only book I've, I've done this for in a long time. And it's the only non-academic book. I reread the whole 30 pages because I wanted to make sure I was giving him a good shake. And uh, I just have so many good things to say, and I have... I don't think it's I don't think I've come across a book like this where I've had so much broad general agreement and so many points of specific disagreement. And it's um kind of strange to combine those two. It is you, I like how you put that cuz I found yes, I when I read it, I found a lot of like wow, he's really bringing down the hammer. He's really laying that out there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, these subtle ways of talking about you know, what Jesus did for us in these guilt trips and these other things. Wow, that's just what they are. And then there's a sweeping generalization about, you know, how God views this generation. And uh, he even played a very familiar card at the end of, oh, the end of chapter three on page 34, where he quote says, all you have to do is believe. And I went, oh, We've been down that road before, and yeah. it's just uh, I, I'm open to that being being how it works. I just can say with pretty pretty strong confidence that that hasn't worked out for me. So yes, to your point that it's there's there seem to be lots of good observations and good insights. There are also other things that I. Yeah, I'm not I'm not totally on board with. But it's kind of refreshing <laughs> after reading Not a Fan to see someone taking such a almost I don't know if I would say his perspective is opposite, but it's definitely a different perspective. Mhm. Yeah, I think he's really helpful in cutting back against some of the stuff that wasn't even on I don't know. I don't know if it wasn't on the radar and Not a Fan or if it was just assumed like this all is working fine here. The problem that's not working well is that you people aren't willing to sacrifice enough. You're not willing to give up enough. You're not willing to hurt enough. And and he's, uh, you know, his focus on love, I think, is fantastic. I think probably the, the where I'm going to cut back the most, and again, this is after three readings of the first 30 pages, so I feel fairly confident that I've got a good sense of it. Um, but the place I'm likely to cut back the most is this, 
what for me is this this really important um, almost the way that love and truth are like a hinge and they, they work together you know they're joined and they're separate um, but I think as you said some of the generalizations again uh, I think those could be avoided with a little more research with a little more attention and some of the ways he's sort of you know, we've bought into this. He's, you know, we talked about this previously. <laughs> yeah. This idea of, uh, we, we, we. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, page 18, you've bought into the world's definition of love. Page nine, page 20, people decided beforehand what their interpretation of scripture will be. And if you've decided that he, meaning God is disappointed with you, you'll only see disappointments and disappointment in the words of the Bible. And this whole idea of, you know, right there, what I would uh, argue against is I don't think that most of us have decided anything. I don't think most of us have bought into anything. I think a lot of us come from, in terms of having bought into the world's definition of love, I think most of us, many people come, maybe not most, but many people come from dysfunctional families and or dysfunctional churches and a very little sense of what, you know, <clears throat> love is or the idea, he writes further down on page 18, the point I want to make to you is that the world has convinced us that love is the exact opposite of everything listed in, and he's talking about the passage in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. And I don't think, again, that, that we've been convinced. Um, I think that the whole the reality for me is that, you know, we, we've talked about this in past podcasts. When I talk to people about why they're a Christian, I'm interested to hear and I'm expecting to hear something about their experience of God, their understanding of God, yes, but also their experience of God. And so often what I hear are, is so much to do with understanding, with, with, with you know, head knowledge, and so little to do with experience. And often what, what I'm really looking for in experience is, you know, help me understand this whole thing with uh, you and God and love. And that's one of the things I hear the least often. It's the rarest. And so when he's talking about the world has convinced us, I don't think that, I don't know if the world has convinced us necessarily of anything. I don't think we've had much to go on or, or that Christians in, in one sense have been uh, taught that their experience is incredibly valuable. I think we've been taught, as you've often mentioned, that it's the opposite. It's to be distrusted. Well, how on earth are you supposed to understand God's love if A, you don't experience, and B, you, you, you don't have a way of, of valuing, evaluating, and understanding that experience? So I, I think part of my frustration with Darren is that I think in the broad brushstrokes, when he's looking at the issue, that from what I'm, what I'm seeing you know, um, very early on in chapter one, I like, I got to say this as an aside, I like the way he repeats himself. And, and he, on page seven, he's got a one, he's got one, a one line paragraph in, in italics. We have been lied to about God. And then he goes on on page eight, does another one line paragraph in italics. We've been lied to about God. That's on page nine, pardon me. And then again, further down, same thing. We've been lied to about God. And he's really, you know, again there, I, I'm not too sure about being lied to. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, <clears throat> what I wrote is, or perhaps we feel as though we've been lied to. We've, we don't, we don't, you know, there's something wrong. But, but that sense of it, if I take his we've been lied to in the best possible way, which for me, I would say, we've got a notion that doesn't work. And he, he kind of mentions that point about, 
on the top of page 11. I really like this. So I'm trying to knit together his stuff in the best possible way. And when I do that, what I get is the sense of, we've got something that we're told works. And you know what? When we stand back and we look at it, it doesn't work. So on the top of page 11, he writes, we're constantly taught to deny the truth about the results of our faith, of what happens when we are believing in God and whether this works or whether this doesn't, and believe that something else will take place the next time around. So he's talking just before that about the relationship or about the definition of insanity, you know, that whole idea about Albert Einstein. Yeah, and expect different results. He says, the thing we put our faith in and preach to the world, the things are clearly not working, yet we continue to act and talk as if they are. And it's this sense that I really think is fantastic, that he's bringing this out and he's saying, you know what, look at your experience. Does your experience say that, that you know, you're in this love relationship with God and you, you are happy with God, you are, you, are, um, you know, this, this is working for you. This is a way of life that you would embrace and can honestly recommend to other people on the basis of how you feel about it. You know, and he, uh, he talks about his uh, conference that he had, right, and that he gave where people, uh, he asked people about, um, I'm trying to look that one up because I really like that comment that he made. Oh, is that where he's asking how many people are afraid of Jesus coming back? Yeah, even on, on page seven, how many of you feel you've basically been miserable for the largest part of your Christian life? Fantastic. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> know. Is, I don't... Which is kind of an ironic question because if you go with the Kyle Eidelman approach, being miserable is a positive sign and you would raise your hand, <laughs> yes. Oh, my god! I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know you weren't. That's why it was. I guess I'm laughing at the irony that we have two people, these two authors, who are writing books about ostensibly, you know, in theory, the same God. And definitely... Oh, they're definitely the arriving at different places. <laughs> yeah, we're in a very, very different place. But, you know, again, I think my major criticism of Kyle Adelman was the complete lack of prominence of the, uh, the, the first and second priorities for, for Christians, which, uh, you know, unless I'm wildly off the mark, are, you know, loving God entirely number one. And then number two is twofold, loving yourself rightly and loving your neighbor in the same manner. And I, I just, I, I, I so rarely and so little saw that in Kyle. And when I did, you know, I think we had a fair bit of criticism for how he was putting that across. And I really value what Darren's doing and he's really focusing in on that. And, uh, you know, again, this, like, this question is very leading. How many of you feel you've basically been miserable for the largest part of your Christian life? I mean, I would phrase that question differently. Um, you know, uh, how, how, on a scale of one to 10, where, you know, one is happy or one is miserable and 10 is extremely happy, where do you fall? You know, how much, how much would you say that being miserable is part of your Christian life versus how much is being happy? But even just examining that, even the willingness to go there is, I think, fantastic because it's saying that how I, how this impacts me, right? Where I stand in this process is really important. Instead of the, 
what I have experienced as being the more traditional Christian perspective, which is, listen, if you're not feeling happy, if you're not feeling good, there's a problem with you. You know, anything that's not going right is your problem. Well, and if you realized all that God has done and all the places that he is actually active in the world, then you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah, but, but, but look at that disjunction, right? If you understood this, you would feel that. Mm, well, so if you had this mental understanding, if you had a correct, so when you have a correct mental understanding, then you'll have the right experience. Exactly. It's, 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 the, it's a category mistake. Experiences and understandings are not in the same category. You know, my, they're related. And if you want to talk to me more about that relationship, and if you want to say, hey, you know what, this may have an impact, sure. But this is what, it, this, this, changing this will equate to changing that. I don't see that. You know, the, the way for me to have a better experience of God is, quite frankly and quite simply, to have a better experience of God. And that does involve interpretation. That does involve understanding. That does involve, you know, me as a person having a sense of, you know, who God is, how God, you know, quote unquote, shows up or doesn't show up, um, how I get in the way of or, and or encourage God showing up or my ability to perceive that. Um, or, you know, even we've talked about the idea of testimony, how God showing up maybe in Christianity is much more of a general phenomena. It's something that, you know, uh, if I don't experience God, quote unquote, showing up in my life in certain ways, then that is not necessarily an invalidation of God's existence or God's care or even how I generally understand God through my reading of, uh, let's say, the Bible, but is, you know, the matter is broader than that. And, and also, I guess, too, you know, what, what constitutes God showing up? You know, I think in my own life, if I was to count the number of significant, like, significant moments of God showing up in my life, I would come with two or three. And if you were to ask me, is that enough? I would say... Given what they are, they're more than enough. One was more than enough. You know, and I think there are lots of other things that I can sort of attribute to God, but I don't think that they were game changers. They weren't life changers. I like this. I like this section on 19, the bottom, about truth. My desire is to bring not condemnation, but freedom to the body of Christ. I do not believe that the answer is to pray for power or fire from heaven to make it all go away. The answer is quite simple. We need truth. This book is a quest for that truth. There can only be one truth, and when it is found, it will not contradict itself or confuse our understanding of God, but it will reveal the simplicity of who he is. So I like that idea that there's one truth... And then when it's found, it will not contradict itself. And th that that resonated with me. And then going on into chapter two, I really like this because this has totally been true for me. On page 14, at the bottom of the page, he talks about falling in love with people. Mm. And that is such a different orientation than evaluating people <laughs> yeah in other words evaluating and this is how i feel like i kind of grew up was you know th those people aren't christians they aren't following god uh there will be bad consequences in their lives unless they do 
and probably shouldn't get too close to them because it might rub off on you. I think I totally got this when I was at Labrie, and I was, I, mm. I feel like that's where I kind of got that idea that you could be with people that were very different than you, that believed very different things or didn't believe things, and that there was something inherently rich about just being with people, full stop. Yeah, you know, when you put it that way, I really, that that's really, really valuable to me, too. I thought what he was saying there was important. My response was uh, to that point was more about what he'd said at the bottom of page 15, where he writes, in fact, I'm convinced to this day that the only way to know the pure, to know the heart of the pure, unadulterated gospel is through loving the people the message is for. But what you said there is different, you know, and reflecting on the experience of just being loved um, and being in an environment where you're valued and cared for and where forgiveness comes easily. Um, that was certainly my experience at Labrie. That's a really good way of looking at it. And I can hold that in con, maybe in, in some tension with his idea here of, you know, you know what the gospel means by loving the people the message is for. I think that's related to it, but I don't think that that's, I don't think that's where it's at. And that, that was a strange thing that I found about some of what he was saying that it's, it's you know, it's, it's this, I, you know, he writes on the bottom of 14, I fell in love with the people and I thought, okay, this is really cool. And then on 15 and he's like, you know, and this is how you know what the, you know what the gospel means. And I thought, no, it's because I've been loved. It's because I've been loved by God because I get that. And I can live in that love relationship and therefore I want this to grow. And, you know, it's like the whole idea of there's, you know, Love begets love. It's you don't have another child in the family and say, okay, you got to tighten our belts. There's not enough love to go around because we've got to split it by one more person. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. And so in the same way for me, uh, and, and as far as I understand it, it's, it's, it's not about loving other people that I understand what God's love is about. It's by being loved by God that I understand what God's love is about. You know, it's, it's just that totally straightforward thing. And Interesting. Because, yeah, I, I took this section more about a change in his orientation. I I took this as his previous orientation was all about trying to convict people and get people to be good Christians Mm -hmm. and driving this agenda that he kind of described in the first chapter. And I, I was looking, so I was looking at this section through that, through the lens of his orientation towards people completely changed. He, it sounded to me, I got the impression that, the whole agenda and things that he was trying to push on people and get them to do, he basically just set all that down and just love the people for who they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I got that too. And I, I think he's dead on with that. I just don't agree with this idea that we, we understand, you know, that we understand God through relating to whatever, you know, he's made the point earlier on in chapter one, that we do, we're, we've, we've, we've put the Bible in the place of God, that we've done the same sort of move that um, he would say that the Pharisees had done in first century Palestine. And uh, I, think, I think he's doing the same thing here. I mean, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I know that sounds super critical. Um, I don't I, think I, think I think get where you're going with this. So well, say it again. Say, uh, I, 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 I do not think. I don't, I don't know how to be, 
I'll say, just say, just say I'll it say again. It. Maybe I missed say it. it again. Okay. Um, I understand. So when he's talking about the heart of the gospel, you know, the heart of the gospel, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's when the, when the lawyer comes, and the lawyer here means scribe, or it means a, a religious scholar. When the religious scholar comes to Jesus and says, you know, you know, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you know, basically love God entirely. Love God with all your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor likewise. Or love your neighbor as yourself. Pardon me. And so the heart of the gospel is loving God entirely. I don't get that. And I'm not able to do that. And I'm not able to love myself in, in a right way or love others in that same right way by loving others. It does not make sense if, if, if the heart of the gospel is, you know, loving God entirely, loving yourself rightly, loving others likewise. If that is what it is, you don't get it through A, loving the Bible, or B, loving other people. You get it by being loved and being in love with, loving God, in other words, loving in return, being loved and being, and being in love with God. That's how you get it. That's where it originates from. So you're That's taking issue with the, where is the source of the love that you have. Absolutely. And you're saying it comes from God, not as a result of loving other people. Yes. And, I mean, there's a relationship there, right? There is a relationship. God doesn't sort of appear in my living room. And I say, oh, John, I can't talk now. God and I are having a little love moment here. (laughs) Because that doesn't happen. God doesn't appear in my living room, right? Is there a relationship between me reading the, the biblical text and me understanding God's love? Absolutely. Is there even a relationship between me experiencing those, the God's love and reading that text? Yeah, I think there is. Is there a relationship between me experiencing God's love and experiencing other people, being with other people, being loved by other people? Absolutely. But I would say that those two things are not the same thing because God and other people are not the same thing. God is related to people, but distinct from people. God's actions can appear, can show up, can be manifested through other people. But there's not the same thing as other people's actions. Right? So God's not there pulling strings. God's not making somebody say, I think you're a great guy, Greg, and you are really special. I love you. You know, that's not God. That's, that's somebody else saying that. But can God show up through other people? Yes, I think so. And I think sometimes that's explaining how that works can be tough. Um, but I think in my experience, that's happened a couple of times. Those are the two or three times I'm talking about, really, when I previously I spoke about, you know, how many times has God really shown up in significant ways in my life? Well, two or three times. Did those other times involve other people? Yeah, they did. I wasn't off in a forest somewhere or up on a mountain or away in a desert. But was that other people acting on their own behalf and doing what they wanted to do? Yeah, I think it was. And was God involved in that? Was there something more going on than that? Was this something, you know, in, in the cases I'm thinking of, people acting in ways that are beyond what they would normally do. People acting in ways that are out of character for them. You know, um, people demonstrating an understanding that goes way beyond what they have. You know, and even when I would remember that a couple of them, one of them I'm thinking of, and I questioned the person 
no clue, no clue. And yet it was profound and powerful for me. And in fact, it was the right thing at the right moment that not just a moment, but a, 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 a setting up of, of things like setting up a huge course of, you know, dominoes that just strike one another and create a, a chain reaction. And I think, you know, this is something that's really worth talking about. What is the relationship between God acting and other people acting? And this is a really worthy subject, but I just don't, I, I, I would very strongly, I'm trying to think of a softer word, but I would just, I would, I would reject what he's written here. I don't think he's right. Where, is that, he, where is that exactly again? Bottom of page 15. I'm convinced to this day that the only way to know the heart of the pure, unadulterated gospel is through loving the people the message is for. I, I don't think so. Yeah, for some reason, I don't... Well, I think he's going in two directions. I think what you're saying, suggesting is, is, is right, like that he has changed his views and how you know, he's not making people try to conform to a list of... Yeah, he says, but, but when I finally love people more than the message, I could see exactly what the problem was. In fact, I'm convinced... To this day, that the only way to know the okay, I see where that goes. I well, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Know, I don't know. I disagree with you. I I see him okay. saying here that what I take him to be saying here is he fully he fully understood the message of the gospel in the process of loving other people. To which I say, oh. well. What's wrong with that? He's not saying it's the only way to know the love or that it has to happen this way. He's just saying that, well, you know, he is. I'm convinced that this is the only way to know the heart of the pure. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I'm going I love in these circles. conversations. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll agree with you that that last sentence is a little strange. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't know what else to do with it except to say, okay, yeah, I agree. It Something doesn't quite jive there. Well, you know, the, the really pleasant thing for me. And I, I think I've seen him kind of contradict himself in a couple of places here in this book. And I, I know that, that when you say that someone's contradicting themselves, it's not a compliment. But I have the pleasant belief, pardon me, that he may well come back at the end of this book and switch that around. Or say things that, that nuance it in a different way. You know, I don't know. So I'm just saying for now, that is a red flag for me. But it doesn't disqualify what he's saying. It doesn't, you know, it's just a place where I would, I, I would strongly differ and, and, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. But I think, like you said, the sentence right before is really powerful. And I totally agree with that. Finally love the people more than the message. You know, and because what that's, yeah, I mean, that, yes, because that's where, I would say a book like Not a Fan, it's all about the message and not so much the people. Uh, it's like, uh, who cares if this is offensive to you and who cares, whatever. Like, this is the message. Love it or leave it. Where do you want to spend eternity? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I would agree. There's there's a funny back and forth in this in that I love the way he highlights and draws word pictures and examples and analogies around things. Sometimes they make me a little uncomfortable, like, has he pushed this too far? you got to think about it a little bit. So he talks about, you know, on page 20, people reading their Bibles and whatever, and he says... So where are you again? On 20. Okay. He talks about, you know, how God has been positioned as this wrathful, angry person 
Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, he's like, this is why most Christians never read their Bibles. It is natural for us to avoid contact with someone we don't love. Could you imagine if I had a support group of men to keep me accountable in the matter of reading my wife's letters to me? (laughs) I see it's funny. If my life writes me love letters, I will plow through an army of men to get that letter just to see what she says or just to see what it says. Then I will read it over and over again until the paper literally falls apart in my hands. I thought that was kind of an interesting, especially the whole accountability thing, which is yeah, rife in Christian culture, which is, you know, without this accountability group, I'm going to go off the rails. And I have to have this accountability group to make sure I read my Bible, which when he puts it in those terms, it's like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So if the Bible is God's message to us which i know we've kind of had different nuanced conversations around that let's just Mm -hmm. assume that it is Mm -hmm. yeah it is kind of strange that i would need an accountability group to keep me reading it Mm -hmm. yeah you're right i do like these contrasts they really they really make some of the strange things stand out and the fact that yeah there's got to be something wrong like if you don't like doing this if it's hard to do and you don't seem to like it there's got to be a reason for it and then, yeah, exactly. Why not look at that? Why not look at that, right? Exactly, I think- exactly. I think he does an awesome job of sussing all these things out and drawing analogies and pictures around them in ways I've never heard before. It's the other, maybe getting to the underlying cause of the problem or proposing a solution that doesn't make as much sense to me. I, I like it. He's I on 23. <laughs> 23, he's talking about holding Christian teaching up to the holding what you're hearing up to the light of who God is. Mm-hmm. And I love this a little example. The problem is that most people don't have the guts to hold their belief system up to the light of love. They're not even sure they're allowed to. They secretly wonder if doing so might make God feel the way we do when the cashier at the convenience store holds up our $20 bill to the light. It's a feeling of being accused of counterfeiting and interrogated undeservingly. But holding Christian teaching up to the light isn't in any way mistrusting God. He is the light. I thought that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on about how we've, well, we've been deceived into believing a lie concerning love. And I don't know if we we have or not, but I think this is funny. Or in, mm-hmm. it's worth thinking about. Could you imagine me holding up my nine-month-old son Jude in my arms and telling him that under no circumstances would I share my glory with him? What if I lovingly told him if he disobeyed me again, I would pour gasoline on him and light him on fire? What kind of a father would I be if I explained to him that he needed to give me 10% of everything he had, or I would withdraw my hand of protection from his life and allow the fires of hell to swallow him? What if I told one of my daughters that, that she was put here on earth to be a servant and a slave to me? Could you picture me telling my children that I've written everything about me down in a book and unless they read it every day of their lives, they'll never get to know me? What parent would purposely inject their child with a terrible disease as punishment for disobedience? What father would turn his head away from his son or daughter the moment the child made a mistake? That's pouring it on pretty thick. Yeah, and I I really... Well, I I like what you said a moment ago, his descriptions and his analogies. And I I think what he's doing here, he's doing the same thing. Did he go too far? Um, well... Or did he mix? Like I let's, liked it. I liked it in the sense that it was dramatic and it drove a point home. But I was like, oh, is there something? I don't know. 
Well, here's what I think's going. Here's what I see going on, and here's why I, I my first response and probably my last, maybe, maybe my last response. We'll see. We're not done the book yet, but is I I love the guy because he is focusing us in on the importance of understanding and of, and validating and valuing our experience of God and our experience of Christianity. It's that whole thing he made back on page 11. Um, the things we put our faith in and preach to the world are clearly not working, yet we continue to act and talk as if they are, page 11. And he's coming back and he's saying, hey, does this work? Would this work in another area of your life? No. Would you think that you're insane? You're a bad father? You're, uh, you're ridiculous? You're, you know, uh, being judged unnecessary, un- unfairly? Yeah. Well, why is it not the same thing with your Christianity? And I think he is in, in that regard. So you made the point, like, is he going too far on page uh, 23 about, you know, the whole thing about pouring gasoline? <laughs> um, <laughs> is he going too far? And I don't want to go there yet. And I, I just, okay. I, I don't want to answer that question. I just want to say, first of all, that his notion, which you really highlighted really well on the bottom of page 22 um, holding the holding Christian teachings up to the light isn't in any way mistrusting God. And I think that is the key. That is the key to what he's doing here is that he is trying to break through a, a, a an idea that's encased in concrete and he's using a sledgehammer to do it. Ooh, and, that's what, that's what good way of putting it. And I think what really is happening here, what I don't want to say really is happening. What I want to say is, I think the most productive way to view this and approach it is almost like a, an archaeologist who's uncovering something. And there are parts you have to use a sledgehammer on. There might be parts you've got to use a jackhammer on, but probably there are a lot of parts you've got to use a very fine tool on and maybe just brush strokes and moving stuff out of the way. And I think what I'm trying to describe is there needs to be a nuanced approach to understanding experience once we get beyond the fact that we need to value our experience, there is the reality that valuing means understanding and interpreting. And this process of understanding and interpretation requires time and finesse. And it's something where nuance is extremely important. And I think what I'm seeing in Darren here is the heavy work. It's the sledgehammer. It's the big strokes. But the problem is we don't live our lives with big strokes. You know, he can very easily, once he's got his point across, he's pushing too hard. And we sort of say, we back off and we say, ah, oh, you know, that seems a bit extreme. And I don't want to throw away the good part of his message because I think he's being extreme because he doesn't have, I don't think he's got the fine, I don't think he's got the fine motor skills when it comes to dealing with experience, not in putting it across to us and how we should be understanding it. I've listened to his podcast a lot and I think he comes across stronger in this book maybe than he does in the podcast but i feel the book has a to me has a level of there's feels like there's a level of anger in it mm-hmm. and i would and i would distinguish that from frustration it feels like there's well maybe it's both it's a mixture of both but well i'll cut against that having listened to him li- listen to a lot of his podcasts i would say he does tend to swing the, the hammer pretty hard and yeah, the more nuanced stuff, I don't know that I've heard as much of that. 
The other note I made on 23 was, the, in other words, this whole thing about this analogy of what if we were to tell our kids that they are only on this earth to bring us glory, and if they do the wrong thing, we'll, they'll burn in hell forever, etc. Mm-hmm. The note I wrote there is, is I think the path I would have normally gone down with a section like this is, well, yeah, that sounds really cruel and really ridiculous, but you know, this is God we're talking about here. And God is in this special category where you can't apply these same principles and ideas because God is beyond our understanding. And the Bible's really clear that, you know, if we don't believe we're going to hell or people mm. who don't believe go to hell. And what's interesting is I'm reading Rob Bell's book, Love Wins right now. And he, he kind of puts up a similar construct on the back cover, which is, you know, we believe in God You'll go to heaven, and if you don't, you'll burn in hell forever. And that's a loving God, huh? But it's just, in other words, it's this whole idea, that the way it's set up, and it's also set up in the book. I'm about three-quarters of the way through, which is God is loving. How could a loving God send everyone that doesn't believe in him to hell? Mm-hmm. Or that's what I'm picking up. It's hard for me to... To say that that's a good question because there's been, well, pretty much my entire life, it's just like, no, those are the rules. And, you know, God is holy and cannot be questioned and is beyond our comprehension. And if that's the way he set it up, well, you know, he made the rules, not us. You know, we're we're just here to do what he says. So, I mean, far be it from us to say that that's illogical or doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I think this is still the same crew that would say that you know, like my daughter when she was 12 and the other girl asked her if she's a Christian. My daughter says, I don't think so. And the first girl says, the other girl says, well, I am. And my mom spoke to me and said that if I, you know, if I want to be in a relationship with God, if I want to be God's friend, then I'll go to heaven. And if not, I'll go to hell. So I decided to be God's friend. You know, this is the same group of people, right? Who are faced with heaven. You know, Christianity is about reward and punishment. Which one do you want? Well, as you've said numerous times, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's, not really a, it's not really a real option. No one's going to choose punishment. Well, I suppose some people could for some reason, but it doesn't, yeah, on the surface. Well, I think those people are probably choosing, you know, hey, you know, I, I see through this. Yeah, I don't want to be manipulated. Yeah, this is a false option, and I choose neither because this is ridiculous. I don't think anyone is truly choosing punishment. I don't think anyone truly believes that they would be punished. You know, you know, there might be some very dysfunctional people, but even then I think that that's a hard, I'd be hard pressed to imagine that. But you, you made a point earlier that I really want to follow up on this idea that God's a special category, right? This, this may apply in human life, but it doesn't apply to God. Yeah. That's, that's me riffing on 30 some years of Christian immersion. Yeah, and I, and I wonder, you know, I was going to ask you a question, and I just was following the, in my mind, I was following the line of possible responses that you might offer, and I, I thought to myself, I just don't know how to dislodge that perspective, other than, you know, Darren's question on page seven, which is a leading question, that whole thing of, you know, how many of you feel you've basically been miserable for the largest part of your Christian life? 
you know, the, and, and, and maybe, maybe these people would say, well, you know, I shouldn't be and Kyle Adelman. <laughs> We're getting back to not a fan here. I'm sure that he would say that happiness is not an indicator of the success of your Christianity. No, he'd say it's the opposite. Yeah, maybe you're right. He'd say it's the opposite. But what are we doing with this whole piece about love? You know, you've got to have, if love means something so utterly different with God than it means with humans, we shouldn't be using the same word. It's, it's incredibly confusing. And if it means the same thing, basically, then why would it not mean at some points being really happy, being overjoyed, being calm and at peace, feeling centered, feeling blissful? You know, and I guess if I had my, if I had an opportunity with people who were Christians who were willing to sit down and discuss the matter, I would love to know how often those words, they use those words or think that those words are indicative of their Christianity or their relationship with God. My experience is very, very, very little. Why is that? So... This whole idea that God's a special category. Again, I think here, I really value, like what you said, on the bottom of page 22, holding Christian, you know, reading from Darren on his page 22, but holding Christian teachings up to the light isn't in any way mistrusting God. And realizing that what we experience and how we experience God is a huge part of what it is to be a Christian. And it's a huge reason or not for holding the Christian faith, you know, and maybe he wouldn't go that far and maybe other people would see that as being a, a danger, right? The danger with, with evaluating your experience of God is that if your experience of God comes up short, then that might mean you have to give up your, your belief, which for most people is, is absolutely intolerable. But I guess here's the direction that I need to be honest and put my cards on the table. You know, I did give up my belief. I did walk away because if it's a question between me following a system that says I'm going to be rewarded or being truthful, living in truth and with truth and being an honest person. I'll choose the latter. I remember James Houston, who was the founder of Regent College. Uh, fantastic man. He's in his 90s now. And uh, I remember James Houston used to often say, I'm a Christian, but I also want to be an honest man making it very clear that those two things do not necessarily go together. And one of the biggest, it seems to me, biggest and most terrible uh, manners of being dishonest in one's life is believing in a system, believing in a religion, believing in a way of understanding yourself, the world, and others that is false. And part of that... uh, the truthfulness of it is how it plays out. You know, and if it's not just in your life, if things suck for you, but they're great for everybody else, well, maybe you need to hear from everybody else. You know, but as Darren has said, you know, in his, one of his initial questions, how many of you are miserable? And it seemed like all the hands in the room went up at this conference. Well, that's a big indicator. That's a big problem. And yet we're kind of uh, all dutifully following along in this thing where we're supposed to be in a love relationship. Like, come on. The problem for me is that we have 
it's and, and here I'm going to come back to this part you might, point you made about God being special. I think God is special, but I think you know, and this is these are um, my mentor's terms, and uh, you know, I know your friend as well, Greg Lowry, will talk about relationship and distinction. And I think this is a very good case. God and who God is and how God acts, how God loves, is related to who human beings are, how they act and how they love. And it's also distinct. So it's got points of connection and similarity and points of difference. And working out what falls in which camp is important. But what we've done typically is we collapse them all. We collapse relationship and distinction. So for some people, God has to be just the same as people. And if there's some deviation from the way we would do things, then that can't be God. Well, I think that's a problem. But it's no less a problem to say God is a completely special case. None of these rules apply to God. Sure they do. Absolutely they do. And if you can't see them applying, then you're going to be in a situation where you've got this, you know, car with uh, no wheels and... uh no transmission or uh, no steering wheel or whatever. And te- in technical terms, is it a car? Sure, it's a car. Does it actually work? Does it actually do anything for you that a car should do? No. It's the same thing with Christianity. Technically, is this a religion? Are you technically following along with what's in this book or what, what one way of, a way of reading this book? Sure you are. Does this actually do anything for you? Is there any value in this? Are you supposed to be miserable in a love relationship? It's the same answer. No, no, and no. And this is what really I find to be so, so, so disturbing. And I think the, 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 the key source, and I think, again, I like Darren. I like when he does this. You read this on page 15, no, 13, 11. My desire is to bring not condemnation, but freedom. This is near the bottom of page 11. Darren Hufford, misunderstood God. To the body of Christ, I do not believe that the answer is to pray for power or fire from heaven to make it all go away. The answer is quite simple. We need truth. This book is a quest for that truth. Fantastic. You know, we need to be truth seekers, but we need to be truth seekers in a very stringent way. And if there's something not working with our, with our Christianity, one of the possible options is our Christianity don't work. It broken. And that may mean, that may mean to certain people, hey, you know what? This whole thing doesn't work. I don't believe in Christian Christianity anymore. I'm an agnostic. That was my road. But you know, the reality too is that th- that's not a, I, I don't think that's a ridiculous way to go. Uh, and I would certainly, under certain circumstances, I would advise people, hey, you know, you, you maybe need to get out of this whole thing. Don't just stop reading your Bible and going to church. You might have to get right out of Christianity. That sounds super radical. But you know what, if you're a truth seeker, if you are dedicated to truth, and I think if you are dedicated to love, my point here, my point through this whole freaking thing, you will find points of connection with God. If indeed God is essentially about truth and essentially about love, you're going to come back. That I'm is totally my banking story. on it. That is my story. Yeah, it is good. It is going to happen. That's kind of where I am, having not been in a church or attending one for three years I think it is yeah man going back into I was in a I went to church back last week for the first time in I don't know how long and there is something there's something to be gained from the perspective that you get from being away yes and not go in the opposite direction and do a bunch of in other words 
Yeah, my experience has been, well, I'm not going to church. That doesn't mean that I don't... <laughs> You're going to become a hell's angel. N- exactly. I have, not, <laughs> I have not radically altered my life in that I don't live with integrity anymore. I don't strive to, or I don't think honesty matters. Or In other words, yeah. I... Well, and the funny thing, I think that was one of that was a critique that was given to me, which was, well, the fact that you're not going to church means you're you're opening yourself up to all these things that could happen to you. And I can confidently say that, to the best of my knowledge, none of those things have happened. Can, can I interject with that? Yeah. What about the possibility? And and this this I think that Christians Christians find absolutely abhorrent and terrible and impossible. The possibility that when you go to church, you're receiving errors. You're getting bad things. You're getting, you know, you're not getting more truth. You're getting less. And Christians somehow manage to totally, totally ignore, totally ignore the prophets of the Old Testament. You know, and then and they see Israel as, oh, that was Israel. That could never possibly be us. Well, wake up. Wake up. You have a very, very, very small percentage of the population saying to the rest of the population, those are the prophets, saying to the rest of the population, that would be Israel. And those would be, by the way, God's chosen people. All right? Let's, let's be kind of clear on who the players are. Saying to those players, hey, you know what? You guys, you're totally messing up. Your religion is false religion. And the reality of false religion is that everybody inside is saying, hey, we're doing the right thing. But, you know, everybody inside is all inward focused. And as you said, you know, that whole point about having perspective, you don't have that perspective. You know, I'm not suggesting that people, various churches, like send people as, as missionaries to their own church by saying, you know, you stay out of the church for two years and see how you go and come back and talk. <laughs> like, I'm not suggesting that. That's not how it works, right? But the reality is false religion exists. We, and the, the, no, it totally does. It totally does. And, what's, and the way it's constructed is that it can't be it's impervious. I don't know what the yeah, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's it's this really just kind of mind-bending, wow, you've created this amazing trap. You've yeah. created the Hotel California like nobody can leave. There it's impossible to leave. So, you know, there's that one verse was it Hebrews about not forsaking the gathering with other believers. So if you're not you know, if you're not going to church, you're in violation of that verse, which means you're sinning, which means you're in wrong relationship with God. And Yeah, but that whole micro-quoting thing just sucks. Just work. No, <laughs> I like that micro-quoting. Because <laughs> what about, well, I, I'm actually loving God. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking truth. I'm doing all of these other things. You know, I'm I, having church right now as far as I'm concerned. I think there's some of that going on. You know, and, and I, I think what you, what you are doing and what I have done is not for everybody, and I wouldn't. You know, no, no, I'm not saying this is the case way. Case by case sort of thing. No, I'm not saying this is the way. I do think that it's interesting, having been away, that it's it gives me more confidence when I go back into those situations to say, there's mm-hmm. something weird going on here. Mm-hmm. There's something, something that doesn't quite make sense to me. So, for example, I got there a little bit late and they were singing praise songs and... This one song was not surprisingly very repetitive, which praise songs as you are, and I have kind of a distaste for that. This particular mm-hmm. song was about mercy, and repeatedly, in like every way fathomable, asking for God's mercy. Hmm. And I, 
I just, I don't know, I just kind of left scratching my head because I thought, what? If the whole message is that that Christ has come and taken away our sins and everything has been set right by God, like what, why this, I mean, this really preoccupation with needing God's mercy. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? And what, what's, and it's possible that I'd, miss something and and what was going on there and and didn't get the gist of the song but again having not been for a long long time and then having been there it was just I I just felt like it was just very clear it was easier for me to see like and to to question and and to feel okay about that yeah you know I think that's so valuable and I I would really love it if (laughs) I don't want to put you in a (laughs) Spot, oh, if I had stopped the music and said, wait a minute, what is this song about and why are we singing it? Well, <laughs> I hate to say it, but short of stopping the music, that was exactly what I was going to ask you. I would love it if you, anytime you go to church or if you want to just reflect on that that one time you've gone, uh, following your long sort of pause, um, I would love to have a list of 10 questions you think you could never possibly ask. And I'm sure you could come up with dozens more, but if you had to have your top 10 questions, you know, when you said that something just doesn't feel right here, I would wonder about 10 sort of general questions that you think you couldn't possibly ask or that they wouldn't possibly answer. So I'd, I'd love your input at, at some point. I'd love to see a list if you <laughs> ever want to draw one up. That would make for a good episode. <laughs> I think it would, actually. I think it would be really cool. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 41. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.